Agent 99 here, and welcome to Table Talk Friday, a D&D podcast. If you like their show, make sure you follow these boys on whichever podcast service you prefer. And check out their bonus content on patreon.com slash tabletalkfriday. And now, enjoy the mystery. So, boys, <laughs> there are these stores in our area known as Video Game World. You're familiar, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, Video Game World has been on my mind a lot recently. I've been watching like retro gaming videos, talking about like these old games and collectors buying them. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a retro video game collector. I'm more of a D&D book hoarder. But I went into Video Game World the other day because I was curious. I was like, is there like a used Nintendo Switch OLED around here or something? And how much would they pay me for a Nintendo Switch, right? And because I was thinking it and I was playing my Switch the other day. And I feel like just because it's the first model, it's pretty old at this point. It's like, what, seven? No, no, no. Five years old at this point. And I was playing Cult of the Lamb, and it was so slow. Like, it wasn't, like, slow, but it was choppy, where, like, every now and then it would lag behind or something like that. And I was like, well, I don't like that. And also, I know they have an upgraded model, not upgraded specs-wise, but upgraded screen-wise, the Switch OLED that's only, like, a year old. So I stopped in to Video Game World walked around a little bit now i had great self-restraint i didn't buy anything they had the uh the mimic funko pops there uh, uh that have, like yeah, the mint yeah. boo thing on it i uh i'm gonna buy one tomorrow um you're going back oh yeah i'm going back because they had a switch oled in stock sitting down there that was cheaper than one you can buy online it was ready to go it's got the white joy cons just like i want hopefully they work because mine sure as heck don't um because i might one of them has drift and uh, I'm going to trade mine in, of course, being forward with the fact that, okay, it's got a small chip in the plastic and uh, the left Joy-Con has drift. So do with that what you will, video game world. But I am, uh, I'm going to go there, trade it in, and uh, I can't stop roaming around that store. There's so much stuff. There's so much cool stuff that I'm like, oh my gosh, I could get a copy of Persona 2 for the PlayStation 2, which I don't have, for like three thousand dollars no it's like two hundred dollars this is amazing i should buy it <laughs> see now i'm growing concerned though because i i love video game world too i think it's pretty cool i like walking around checking all the old video game merch right but zach if seth walks into a video game world that just happens to be nearby a Publix, we may never see seth again <laughs> <laughs> well i'll let you in on the fact that this is right off of the road where my work is at, which is also right down the road from Publix. I'm thinking I have a day spent tomorrow. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. I'm going to hit up the gym. I'm going to teach some kids. My how gym's to... right there too. Uh-huh. uh-huh, no. uh-huh. Well, and then I'm going to go to the other gym. So, so I go to my gym. I go to the other gym. I go to the video game world. And then I, uh, I, I stop up on, on some Publix. Now, now that's the video game world as well. That has ice cream in it, which is just, does it? What? Yeah, yeah. It's I haven't like, noticed. It's connected. So, like, there's the there's oh, the main, yeah. Like, there's the arcade room. Uh huh. In the arcade room, they sell ice cream. Which I'm just gonna be frank. Video game world, please. Uh, if you listen to this show, uh, take no offense to this, but I think selling ice cream. I mean, obviously, it's for kids, right? Like, you take your kids there. What you are have you fun. To say, but but like, <laughs> no. If you're selling ice cream and like collectible things together i feel like that that doesn't go well no no it doesn't like maybe if they had a vending machine it would be fine right 
Yeah, no, I, I can see why that doesn't go well. Because, like, you hand someone ice cream and then they go to touch the collectible things. Well, now they've destroyed it. Well, you know how uh, a lot of those McDonald's nowadays, they have, like, those little playground areas where you can send your kids to go down the slides and whatnot? Yeah. And their ice cream machine is conveniently always broken. So, all they need to do, McDonald's, hear me out. You can get a ton of money off this, right? Build your, your place right next to a video game world. That way, you could just send people next door. Their kids can go look at collectibles, get some ice cream. That's everything you need right there. It's I'm pretty perfect. sure they only have three locations. McDonald's? No, they have a lot. Game they have a lot. World. <laughs> game world. No. Um, I've seen at least two. I don't know. Maybe there's, maybe there's a few They have three more. on their website. So I went to, uh, but when I was there the other day, they had the Persona 5 Steelbook. Right, right. And Ooh. I was this close to buying it, but it was $50. And I was like, well, I'm not going to spend $50 on another copy of Persona 5. I already have two. But that's your life, Seth. You have, you have to get the steel one. <sighs> no, no, don't make me consider it because I'll go back tomorrow and I'll spend $50 more on it. And I don't need to do that. Do you see this room that's around you right now? I see it. I spent a lot cool. of money on a lot of this stuff. But you could have a steel case sitting inside of it and you'd feel much better. <laughs> Going back a couple years when the, it was Doom, the Doom 3 BFG edition came out. They had an aluminum case. I have it, and it still, to this day, sits on my shelf collecting dust. But I appreciate every second of it and every ounce of dust that's on that shelf. You know, I'm on your side too, Drew. Uh, I think you should buy it, Seth. Uh, and just for the fact that you can give me your other copy of Persona 5. And then I can <laughs> it is it. Persona 5 Royal, so you could have the other copy. I would love your other copy. Oh, man. But what? But then then I don't have the original, you know? <laughs> With all that, that is a good lost point, time. Though. You know, you could you could go ahead and borrow the other copy of Persona 5 Royal, but you have to promise to play all 90 hours. <laughs> 90 plus oh. hours. If it's your first playthrough, 110 hours. Yeah. I mean, I spent that much time on Elden Ring, so like, if it means that much to you, I might... It does. Yeah, I might find some time in my schedule it for does. it. It does. Elden but, uh, Ring meant that much to you, and I did it for you, Zach, so... Yeah, but my loved ones will will really hate you for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Zach, come out. <laughs> You've been playing Elden Ring for 12 days. You've been playing Persona 5 Royal for two weeks. I have to do it for Seth. <laughs> <laughs> now you haven't gotten a haircut in two years. I don't know what uh, what that has to do with <laughs> the Elden Ring that you've been playing for this month, but I'm sure it's related. Well, if you're going to pick up Persona, Zach, and borrow it from Seth, I think you have to force him to play through Elden Ring again and actually beat the game this time, you know, all the way through. Oh yeah, my yeah, gosh. Oh Melania. My gosh. Oh, yeah, but I mean, I got that far, so. Yeah, but you didn't beat her. You're right, but I've been playing God of War 2018, and I am right at the end, and Kratos is so strong, <laughs> <laughs> and Artreus is so cool. Um, yeah, no, that game is a banger. I... I think I'd put God of War 2018 over Elden Ring for my games this year. Really? Like how much I liked it. So I've played Persona 4 Golden, which is my top game of the year so far. Like, brilliant game. Um, I've played Elden Ring, you know, Final Fantasy VII Remake, and now I'm playing God of War 2018. There's a bunch of other games in there too, but they don't matter. Um, God of War 2018 <laughs> is right under Persona 4 Golden. Like, that game is so good. Does uh, Tiny Tina's rank up there? Or no, no not even, no. even compare. I, I I told you I might not even finish that game. Like it's oh, a good game. Don't get me wrong, but it's a Borderlands game with D and D themes. So it's like I like it slightly more than any other Borderlands game. Right, which you know it's Borderlands. Yeah, Borderlands has always been like a six out of ten in my head, even though it is a good fr- a good and popular franchise, like a solid eight out of ten franchise. I in my head, like when I play those games, I'm just doing it for the junk food. <laughs> for the junk food yeah for the junk food but now the junk food has d20s in it oh oh speaking of d oh god i hit my microphone i'm not using <laughs> this new set very um, professional I know, I know i'm very professional the the other day i was scrolling through some sort of D merch site or something someone was selling led 
light up dice. I saw that I too. I saw that too. I was that. <laughs> We're all getting the I was same ad. That I was guys. guys. Because you know what? Our feds are listening into our podcast and they're advertising the same stuff to all of us at the same time. You think uh, the yeah. feds are responsible for our advertising? Oh, absolutely. No, no. Absolutely. Th- there's some sweaty advertising guy in like a basement somewhere and, and he's watching uh, our, our ad stuff. The feds are just making sure that you're not building a bomb. Mm. Well, let's keep this uh, topic very topical. Um, have you guys heard about the Twitch drama this week? The Twitch drama on Twitch.tv? Which one was that? Oh my gosh, there's been so much drama going on on Twitch this week. There was, first of all, the biggest scam in like um, <gasps> in Twitch history. That one was huge, so a guy scammed his viewers and friends and family out of $300,000, and you know he's going down for it. The biggest chess scandal has been going on where um there was <laughs> you haven't the heard biggest about chess <laughs> the biggest chess scandal ever so the best player in the world magnus carlson i believe his name is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um played against another guy named hans something i don't remember his last name um so magnus carlson played against hans blah 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 um and now magnus is the best player in the world and hans is like a man like an okay player and well, I mean, a very good player compared to us. I want to be very right, clear. Right. I listened to part of this story here, and they described this man. They said, "Yeah, he's a good player. He's like the worst at the competition, and he's a grand master." Yeah, he's at a grand chess. master, but he's like the the fine, like the first gym leader you go against. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, playing against Hans, Magnus Carlsen was a shoe in to win, easy, but Hans won, which was weird. Uh, and people were like curious about what was going on and whatnot. You know, they scan you before you walk in, like pat you down, make sure you're not like able to hide anything because you can have like a chess bot deliver you answers through like a vibration or something like that. Um, and the current theory of the only way Hans could have cheated is if he had like a um, a Bluetooth or like say it, Seth, yeah, say it, or antenna or, or a, a butt plug or anal beads. <laughs> <laughs> that delivers the signal to him to tell him where to move his pieces. What? And that's but, the, but, but, and this is a real thing. Like no, this is they're not kidding. Hold on. This man is a grandmaster at chess. Who's giving him this advice? Uh no no, no. it would be a chess bot. So it tells him the optimal move. So oh. yeah, someone on the other end puts in like this is where this where uh Magnus moved his piece. Hans uh, you know Morse code this is where your piece needs to go to be the best possible move. Got it, got it. Yeah. So that's the current going theory. Um, after hearing the story, I don't really think he cheated. Um, but if he did, I would love to hear how. Yeah, like I, I, I would love to hear it. I mean, I, I don't know Magnus Carlson uh, personally, and I've never seen him play chess. In fact, I've just learned his name today. But uh, <laughs> everyone uh, loses some games sometimes. It doesn't have to be cheating. Magnus is the best in the world, man. How do you lose chess like that? Like, come on. Um, but, you know, if Hans stuck something up his butt uh, to, to get that to, to get that one W against Magnus Carlsen, I mean, I kind of want to give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, fun fact, though, they recently went or entered the same tournament together, ended up in the same round together again, and Magnus pulled, like, the Uno reverse card and just left. Like he quit, he just dropped out. That is bad. What? Like that is bad manners in a chess tournament. Like chess tournaments are really serious. Yeah. Like you are. If if it was anybody but Magnus Carlsen, he'd be like shunned from the community. Uh. But yeah, no. Magnus was just like, oh, it's a chess.com tournament, and he just on turn two leaves game. That's Jeez. crazy. Yeah. Uh. Because he Magnus thoroughly believes that Hans cheated against him. 
I hope he makes a statement though, because I know for a while he'd gone kind of radio silent on it. Yeah. And everyone was only speculating. The only thing we could think of was, you know, anal stimulation for this apparently. Yeah. But I do want to hear more. I also want to see Magnus Carlsen go up against the king of chess, Moist Critical. I did actually <laughs> see. <laughs> I saw a three minute video where Moist Critical destroyed, I think it was XQC. XQC, yeah. yeah. That was pro. He beat him in six moves, I think. I mean, that's pretty, that's it pretty was great so, mastery, it right? It was so funny to watch, like watching that, because he didn't expect it, and he goes, oh, move, and then wins. <laughs> um, Damn. And speaking of XQC, more Twitch drama, XQC um, was said to be at, I don't remember what they called it, but Cutie Cinderella was holding like some sort of like big event. That's Ludwig's girlfriend. Oh. Um, and she was holding some big event. XQC was supposed to be there day of doesn't tell anybody until the time he's supposed to be showing up, sends a text, not going to be there guys. Uh, and, and that's common for him. Like it's pretty commonplace, but they were really, really mad about mad at him this time. And let me get into the last two pieces of Twitch drama before we get onto our topic. Um, one, Twitch has been doing some really weird bands recently. Uh, like two, like uh, two weeks ago, uh, someone had sex on stream and got banned for seven days. Only seven days. Yeah, only seven days. Too much. That was it. Too, too many that days. That was it. Now, Erob, a popular streamer, was joking around at uh, on a stream once, or like a couple of days ago. He was joking around on a stream with a viewer he knows very well, like one of his oldest viewers. And he's like, dude, when I see you at TwitchCon, I'm going to beat you up. Like, he's joking around. It was a, it was a joke. <laughs> yeah. Twitch, Twitch first banned him for seven days and then went back, re-reviewed it, banned him for 30 days. What? Joking around with his viewer. No. <laughs> like a lighthearted joke with his viewers. Banned him for saying he was going to beat him up at TwitchCon. That's crazy. There's context, yeah. though. There's context to that. Yes. Right. Well, even if it was like a threat, I almost feel like that's that's still not worse than having sex on stream. He would have gotten a lesser, <laughs> lesser ban or like a lesser punishment if he had just, you know, stripped naked on stream. Right. But uh, Twitch knows their audience. I'm pretty sure uh, that stream had to have done very well. Oh, yeah. Last but not least. Um, The final thing is last night, I believe it was, Twitch. uh, So Twitch has a 50-50 partner split cut for subs specifically. So whenever someone subscribes to you, um, you get 50%, they get 50%. So $2.50 go to you, $2.50 go to them for a $5 sub. Now... That's been commonplace for a while, but for bigger streamers, they've been able to contract and get a 70-30 split, which is very good. Um, You know, I feel like 70-30 is almost like way more fair anyways for the person who's creating the content and bringing in the revenue. Oh, this is for the content creator. Yes. Okay, gotcha. 70% for the content creator, 30% for Twitch. I feel like that should be commonplace anyways, right? Sure. Twitch announced last night that uh, they would be changing from allowing uh, people to contract into a 70-30 split and uh, allowing them to get that split, everybody from now on will be 50-50. Oh. Yeah. So no more no more contracts. When your contract ends, you're going down to 50-50 probably. Uh, everybody is a 50-50 partner split. Yeah, but 50% for just having sex on stream is still pretty good though, right? <laughs> 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 it's still it's still a viable option this way. I might I might just stop podcasting and go do that. Well, uh, how much does uh, or does Twitch take anything from like donations or uh, I believe so. I don't know the statistics on that. Yeah, and uh, I will say like subs are, you know, that's a lot of revenue, but there are other avenues, but that's still that's still not great. Right. Like 
I, I almost feel like, yes, it does cost a lot for them to have a back end holding them up, but Twitch is owned by Amazon, multi-billion dollar company. Right. Like, it's not like they can't afford to stay open and let the streamers take their 70-30. Like, the streamers are doing the big bulk of the work. All they're doing is driving content creators away to somewhere with a better split like YouTube, mm. which I believe does have a better split, uh, though I'm not quite sure what it is. I find this to be a really interesting move from Twitch just because I feel like Twitch and YouTube have been kind of going at it over the last few months as far as people trying to do their streaming on YouTube versus Twitch. And it seems like a lot of people were moving to YouTube, but both platforms have very similar issues of people getting you know, banned for weird periods of time, not getting good responses, very poor customer service. So do we think we're going to see more YouTube streamers at this point or I don't know? Um, well, I can say that some content creators that I frequently watch, uh, over at kind of funny have been doing a lot of streams on YouTube instead lately because, um, they're test, they wanted to test it out because, uh, Twitch did change recently where you can't, um, before you couldn't stream on any other platforms. Now you just can't stream on multiple platforms at the same time. So you can stream separately. So instead of doing their kind of funny games daily on Twitch, they've been doing it on YouTube this month and I am enjoying it far more on YouTube. Um, I, I open up YouTube more frequently than Twitch anyway, so I open it. If they're live, it just recommends them to me at the top because they're they're one of my frequent watchers. So I'm like, oh, well, they're live. Just click right there. Like, I, I know that right away as opposed to um, having to go and open up Twitch, which I don't do frequently unless they're live, like when I know they're going to be live. Yeah, mm. I, I think I am uh, on the, the YouTube streaming train. Not that I watch live streams live super often, but uh, that's exactly why. Uh, YouTube VODs are so much better. It's just a YouTube video. Now yes. you watch it. Twitch VODs, sometimes you want to go back. You're like, ooh, look at this deep cut that my favorite uh, Twitch streamer did two months ago. Well, it's going to expire now, so you got to watch the whole thing tonight. <laughs> Like Unis, uh, Honest Unis, Unis Honest. Unis Honest. Honest. Yeah, man, but that was on good. Oh, man. We got to do something like that. We have to delete our whole podcast tomorrow, guys. No, uh, why don't we give it at least a decade? Okay. Yeah, I, 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 can work I, with that. I mean, if we did it now, everyone would just say, oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, we got to do it when there's something to miss, you know? Yeah. yeah you didn't advertise that at all, guys. <laughs> no one's going to show up for it, and we're just going to delete it. I'm telling you guys, we start with the sex thing, and then immediately next day, gone. And we advertise that. Like, you can only get it today. <laughs> okay. Okay. I could get behind that. Well, uh, I, would, I would like to talk to our viewers before we um, actually get into our topic today, which is player and character death. But I would like to talk to the audience first, because we've got a lot of stuff happening in our D&D lives, boys. We've got the, the new studio going on right now. We're recording in it right now. It's not completely ready yet, but when it is... We're gonna have we're gonna be able to like play D and D in here for our own personal home games. I'm gonna start working on some separate content. And we might even decide to do some more stuff ourselves. Very exciting stuff. If you'd like to get in on that stuff, uh, and this is our own personal advertisement since we don't have sponsors yet, you can go to Patreon.com/TableTalkFriday. Check us out over there. We've got ton tons of bonus content, uh, some post shows going up. We're gonna have a bonus post show episode going up to give you a little taste of it here uh, this coming Monday. So look into. Well, I say this coming monday as of recording you you've already had this for two weeks guys what's like how oh, i haven't you listened to it yet come <laughs> yeah, on exactly <laughs> um so yeah we are gonna we are gonna be dropping a little post show um out there for you guys to listen to so you can get a taste of what the vibe is like there and overall just hope that you stick along for the ride with us but 
Welcome to Table Talk Friday. My name is Seth Pittman. Uh, I'm joined by Andrew Romano and my boy Zachary Carvon. How are you boys doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I got home from work today and tried to plug in my wallet to charge it. But other than that, <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I'm dead. Uh, much like the the characters that we're, we're going to be talking about today and how they, they may or not uh, more job stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Uh, it uh, it does uh, suck the life out of me sometimes. But um, but I'm so happy to be here. And uh, and you know sometimes you just cast revivify and you you come right back, which well, I, I think this podcast really does for me. <laughs> well, I have scheduled um a lot of stuff for these upcoming weeks because I've got a couple more competitions coming up for the for the competitive team. Uh, I booked a couple of hotels because I have to go out of town for a couple of them. It's going to be a lot of fun stuff happening over these next few weeks, but that's beside the point because today's topic is player and character death. Sometimes you play a D&D game, guys, and you get into a combat that you're way over in your heads about, or your DM didn't plan for it to be that strong, or the DM wanted to put you against a, a substantial challenge, and you failed. <laughs> so, your character takes the proper amount of hit points and dies. Why don't we go into that first? How does a character die in D&D? Well, so we're talking about 5th edition, and so uh, the system that we run has uh, this me- beautiful mechanic, uh, death saving throws, so... Once you drop to zero hit points, you do not die outright. Uh, you have three chances, essentially, to uh, to either uh, succeed uh, on your death saving throws and then uh, become stable, um, but still unconscious, or uh, you fail three and you die. Uh, you capital D, I-E, uh, and, uh, and your character is no more. Uh, so to, to succeed or fail, you just have to succeed on a, uh, a death saving throw, which is... Uh, unaffected by your stats, uh, unless you're a, a reborn. I believe they have advantage on death saving throws. I believe so. Yeah, but uh, but otherwise, you um you just have to roll above a ten uh, in total. So it's a, it's a fifty fifty shot either way um, that you either die or uh, or live. And then uh, additionally, uh, if you regain any hit points while you're uh, you're down and you're making these death saving throws, then you obviously don't die. So it's actually a fifty five forty five for you to live or die. Uh, because 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 9 to 20, that's 11 numbers. So 1 to 9 uh, fails, 10 to 20 passes. Is that true? Is it uh, a, a 10 also succeeds? Yes. Okay, well then, yeah, 55 to 45. So uh, the odds are in your favor, but if you roll a natural 1, uh, then you take two death failures, um, and you only need three to die, so... That's disgusting. And then, additionally, if you take any damage while you're uh, you're in this death saving throw state, uh, you also take. I believe it's uh, it's one from any damage. But if you're uh, hit by a melee attack, I believe you it also two. yeah it counts as a critical hit, which counts as two. So yeah, uh, you, you can easily die immediately <laughs> after uh, after dropping to zero, just depending on uh, what your DM decides to do with you. <laughs> so. I almost find the the melee thing to be a little interesting. Like, why couldn't you get two fails off of getting shot by an arrow? Because it's a harder shot, right? If you're laying prone, you're unconscious, it'd be harder to hit the person. And on top of that, uh, against what I thought for a very long time, uh, you don't add your constitution modifier to your your death save, which I thought for a very long time. Yeah, no, I I get that confused too sometimes because it's a concentration, but no, it's it's just... uh and you add nothing. Um, I, you know, I, I like to imagine that the the melee thing is because when you're up close and personal, 
uh, you imagine the monster just like really takes their time and like gets in there with that attack because you can do absolutely nothing to protect yourself. If you're getting hit by like a ranged attack or like a fireball, it's not going to hit you in any special way versus how you you typically get hit. I think that's the the justification there. Uh, also, uh, additionally, if you take a number of hit points uh, equal uh, to your hit point maximum while you're uh, you're downed, you also die. So. Right. Um, if you just get completely destroyed uh, in one hit and the, the attack would uh, both drop you to zero and then also deal your full health amount, um, you also die. So do you always go into this death saving throw state or can you die immediately? So- yeah, yeah, you, you could die immediately. If you, if you drop to zero and the, the number of hit points uh, or damage that you take uh, exceeds your, your max number of hit points, with the, uh, the the rolled over amount, so say I'm at right. Yeah, my max is twenty. I'm at fifteen. I take forty. I'm dead. Yeah. Now I've never met a, a DM or a table that rules it that everybody gets death saving throws, but I guess you could. Um, and I'm talking, of course, about you know NPCs or or characters that your your players have actually interacted with throughout your story. At our table, what we kind of roll with is sort of a, a rule of cool option where. If the character is close enough to the party, if they're cool enough, if they're, you know, if, if they hit that best friend status <laughs> with someone in your party, then they get some death saving throws. But if you don't bond enough with some of the people around you, or maybe you don't take some of those side quests, you know, uh, you might miss out. Maybe, uh, maybe your, your best friend you've been romancing for a while uh, might go down and you might lose her. You never know. Yeah, th- so do we have any opinions about that? Um, because I, I don't think there's anything in the DMG that states... Like it, non-player characters get to make death saving throws, but I, I think there's an argument for it. Uh, you know, depending on the circumstances, I think personally, uh, I allow it only when it suits me for the story. If if the the NPC has like gone down uh, and they're like a, a significant character, and all the players would be really upset if they just died outright due to you know some some damage from. Uh, not even like the big bad, right? Then I, I might allow them to make death saves and I'll let my players do what they will with that information. So I I think similarly, but a little different. So I treat them kind of like, not 100%, but kind of like the characters in, uh, in Skyrim, right? Like you have your certain characters that just die. They don't matter at all. They're not linked to anything. And then you have your other characters who... Uh, in Skyrim, they can't die. Like, they just take a knee and they get back up. But in D&D, they can die uh, in extreme circumstances. So, um, if I get into a situation where a party member has been along with the party for long enough, you know, especially, like, a close friend or, or someone, um, not necessarily, like, me playing as, like, a player character, but, like, an NPC is along with the party for a while, and uh, that player or that character goes down... I'm probably going to give them death saves. I can think of other good scenarios where death saves would make sense, but it's usually only only for people that are allied with the party for the time being. Right, and, and that makes sense too. I mean, you, you bring up Skyrim. Um, that's sort of how it works, right? Um, you take a, uh, a companion, they come with you, and then all of a sudden, when they drop to zero, uh, they, they no longer die outright. They just go down and then they get back up. I think it, it sort of works the same way. They have to be a member of the party. So even if they're not uh, like a character, uh, a player character, 
Um, if they've been traveling with you for X amount of time, I mean, some tables will even uh, give them experience just like uh, like a party member. Um, so then you treat them the same way they get the death saves. Right. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say that's the only type of character that gets it, though. Say, you know, significant... Uh, maybe the, the big bad evil guy even gets death saving throws if, you know... It, the moment would be improved by it. Say you drop them to zero, and then you want to see them have like their their final little little monologue, try and choke something out as you as you finish the job, or even uh, you know, oh, this important NPC that we're trying to protect in this uh, mission. Say it's a uh, someone's trying to attack them. the The goal is to defend them. In that case, too, even if they're not a member of the party, it might be uh, more interesting to to play it out that way. Yeah, and coming up with all these ideas, this concept is very, very subjective, which is why I like putting it under the rule of cool kind of vibe. And I don't want to sound like Vin Diesel when I say this, but <clears throat> if the character is family, then they get death saves, you know? And I think a good way to, to gauge that realistically, it, it comes down to the DM for the most part, but I think the DM's job is to read the table. And if someone were to... If an NPC or a character were to be eliminated from the game or no longer there, if it would evoke enough emotion in your party that they would have to avenge them, try to revive them, or drastically change the way that the plot is working, I think they're worthy of death saves. Um, and of course, there's a lot of ways to do it, but I think it really is just a call that the DM has to make based off of the interactions at the table and just kind of the vibes going off. Yeah, a lot of times there's a... See, I... I do fight back against the if they're family thing because party members have had like actual family in the uh, in the game that I've just let die because yeah. it's been uh, it's evoked emotion for the for the way the campaign was going. If I gave them a really good chance to save that person, not that they can't, um, but if I gave them a really solid choice to to save that person, then uh, it might you know not evoke as much emotion as it could. But likewise, we did have a party members family member in the game uh die recently and i gave that character death saves and uh she failed them so you know sadly you know it, it does sometimes turn that way where i was like okay i'm gonna give her death saves we get through it fail like and also damage was being dealt at the same time too so you know it, it's not like it could be stopped very well and for that for that situation recently that actually happened i think it's an interesting call that you made and i don't think I could have critiqued you either way, whether they had saves or didn't, just because this was one of our characters' mothers, right? This was, this was, this was intense. Like, there's a deep affection and love, obviously, for this woman. Um, but in the same sense, going along with a lot of the other ideas we talked about, we hadn't really adventured with her really at all. We really only talked to her three, four times over two or three sessions. So she was very much so a stranger to us. So I think if you didn't give her death saves, I think it still would have worked the same. Yeah. Uh, which shows it's extremely subjective. You, there's no way to make a, a correct call here. Right, but at the same time, um, she did go down like almost immediately. <laughs> so I think the uh, in that case, uh, I, I would make a case that uh, the death saving, like having her make death saves was more engaging at that point because... We, just to give you some context, we were fighting uh, an avatar of Asmodeus. Um, in the with, form of like a big golden golem. Yeah. Uh, and so this thing was just reaming our asses. We had no chance uh, at, at fighting this thing, like giving it everything we got. Every turn was like 
precious, right? So it, it, under normal circumstances, if anyone thought to, that maybe Healing Word would be a good spell to pick up, we wouldn't have been in this situation. <laughs> but uh, but it, using a full action uh, to, to heal her, or even like to go over to where she was, because she was hit by this huge AOE, um, th- th- that would have spelled the, the rest of the party's doom yes, uh, pretty much in, in that case. So uh, super engaging for us to like see that she's going down. You're making those death saves. We don't know how they're going. Um, and it's like, I rolled well, a natural one for one of them. <laughs> and no. then, and then she got hit by the, the like big wave of energy that he shot off. And I was like, well, she's dead. Yeah. Uh, she was very dead. Uh, yeah. And even, and even afterwards, I, I've been, you know, going along with this this feeling of I want death to like really mean something. So when you cast Revivify on this like charred, messed up corpse, I was like, yeah, she can get revived. It's just not going to be pretty. Like so, she came back like with like horrible scarring and like just barely having like a thin layer of skin over top, looking like basically from this beautiful elven woman she was down to this like withered skeleton of a person. And it was it was. It was intense. It was emotional. It was cool. I can't wait to follow up on it uh, later this week. But I'm wondering, what are you guys' thoughts on when the DM is planning? Like, you, should the DM plan for character death? Is kind of my concept. I I do not plan for character death. It just kind of happens sometimes, and if it does, we kind of flow along with it um, because. Character death, I think, should be meaningful, and it and just like you know, death in real life, it shouldn't just be planned for. So, and when we're playing these characters in D and D, I'm like, even if it would suit the story, like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna kill Pythe. Like, I, I just gotta think of it. I'm gonna kill it. Like, I, I, I don't ever think like, oh yeah, I think I want this to be bad enough to where it kills a party member. Do you guys think? That is a viable way to think about it, though. I don't think about it that way. Do you think people do think about it that way? And is that viable? I, I, I think that you can... So, uh, first of all, I, I think you can plan a death um, if it's a non-player character. Like, at, at, yes. at that point, you're, you're setting the scene. Um, and, and really, there's always a chance, right, that a player comes up with a good argument for, you know, something that they do and they just happen to rescue this person. Or, you know, maybe you, you set up a uh, a do-or-die situation where, uh, you know, yeah, Eknan's mom is going to get killed by this guy unless you you act appropriately. I, that's that's a perfectly good use of, uh, of like, your, your, your time. But I, I think it's super toxic to, uh, to, like, think, all right, we haven't had a player die, or a, a character die, excuse me. Uh, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't kill one of my players. Uh, <laughs> we haven't lost a player in a while. <laughs> um, but, uh, that's also super toxic. But, uh, <laughs> but is, is that all that it was toxic, kind of, toxic like? of, you, of you to murder our DM? <laughs> it was well, a little toxic. Yeah, yeah, Are you well, even a real friend? Well, he plotted my character's death, so um, which was also super toxic. Uh, so, so I, I think it's not it's not cool for you to do that. Is, uh, is I, my I point. agree. I was just asking the question as like a you know yeah. devil's advocate. Go ahead. I've I've never known anybody to intentionally try to kill a player i've never heard a story like that beyond like the really awful ones you hear on reddit right some crazy dm doing something wacky uh but i think it's very important crazy wacky dm (laughs) i'm a character but i do love the idea of challenging your players of course all dms will do one of the best challenges is often to 
put a character close to death, put them on their last legs, try to make them think and use the best of their abilities, or even just an emotional state. Uh, I ran a game a long time ago where uh, I was playing, well, I was the DM, but my player was playing a shadow monk. And he was from a, a guild of thieves and assassins, but he had escaped that life and he was trying to stay away from it. Uh, and he had engaged and come into contact with someone from his, from his past, right? So they got into a tussle and I had specifically plotted the story so that the players would be lowered away and it would just be a one-on-one fight between the two of them. And so it was, it could have been a very, very intense fight. It was a shadow monk versus an assassin. And he had a way to get sneak attack on him. So it was it was a lethal encounter for sure. He did not die. He won. And it was actually one of the most cinematic things I've ever seen in one of my games. He ended up uh, slaying and cutting off the head of the other assassin and throwing him off the side of the boat, which was very intense. That is cool. But as long as you're trying to get at something, that's not the death itself. If the death is the end goal, you're doing it incorrectly. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe there's a subjective part there. I don't think that's uh, a gray area. Don't purposely try to kill your players, <laughs> but purposely put them close to make them feel a certain way or adopt a certain playstyle that might help them later. So I will say though, there is an element of this that gets tricky, right? So we we have seen in the past, um, and uh, you know th- this brings to mind uh, the the story of White Glove Eric that we mentioned on this uh, on the podcast before, where. What if a player just makes really bad decisions and um, at that point they're lower in power uh, versus uh, the rest of the party and you you make a, an encounter that's more or less balanced for, let's say, fourth level, um, but by, by some happenstance or another, um, they're within death range at max health from a fireball. Um, <laughs> at, at that point... Is it the DM's job to say, well, no, we can't cast Fireball um, because this player would die from that in one hit if they failed the save? Uh, or do you allow that to happen? Uh, another good example, we had uh, a just a whole team of goblins that we'd uh, <laughs> made friends with uh, throughout the, our adventure. And our, our whole thing was we really loved these goblins. They were such fun uh, we loved traveling with them because they were so cute and funny. Um, but we knew oh, that stop, they were. I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, mix man, clammy hands, uh, all of them. Uh, anyway, they. Uh, we knew that they were goblins, though. They had seven hit points, and you even, uh, Seth, you said, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buff them up." I did. I, they ended up, I think, at the end with like seventeen hit points. But they were still only 17 hit points. Yeah. And and we as players decided we're going to take them into the into the big battle. Like, as the DM at that point, you you can't pull your punches for that decision. No, well, the the uh, goblins wanted to go. Like, I these these characters were, are like, we, ha- we worship, you know, Barrel. We worship this guy. We want to go. I fully expected a no. You can't come with me. Stay back. And then I could, you know, DM my way, like uh, plot armor them into being alive at the end. And then they came to the final battle and died in the first hit, which was a meteor swarm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and not only that, because we uh, we did bring the goblins along for another battle before that. And like three of three of them died there, too. Right. So <laughs> at that point, it was kind of mean of us to do. But we were like, well, hey, they were, hey they goblins. Felt like- did they not feel kind of like player characters, though, when they were hanging out with you guys? Like, oh, for they, sure. They felt like members of the party, so it was like, well, they have to come with us. Yeah, and, and 
I think we had a conversation going into this combat. We're like, all right, we know that this wizard's going to cast Meteor Swarm on us, right? <laughs> all right, so so uh, Mixman, Bix, Bomb, you go over there, um, far away from us. <laughs> well, you guys sent them in to rescue Artist Simber, remember? You sent them in to rescue him and pull him away because he had used the Ring of Winter and all of it, all that it had. Right, um, right, So right. he was like drained, and so they went in to go save him and pull him away, and they got meteor swarmed because I can't, I couldn't justify not hitting him. You know, at, at that point when you have like three targets for meteor swarm, it's like, well, this legendary hero has to be one of them, for sure. <sighs> and and uh, my point being, we uh, we all knew that we were going to stay yes. away from the goblins. Uh, and spread out because they're going to be the target of one of these meteors. <laughs> yes, and they died. Um, regardless, so we've dealt with with um, character death many times in the past. Uh, we, I still think about some of them to this day, like characters dying. And sometimes it's been a choice on the player's side. Sometimes it's been an accident. Uh, sometimes my characters have died. And, you know, I've never been upset uh, with a character dying. It's always just like, okay, well, that's reasonable. It, it happens to the best of us. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on pulling punches when you're about to kill a player? Now, when we get to the point in a combat where, oh man, I made this a little too hard, or when it's it's a planned encounter, but the party is just not doing it well, like they're just not playing well today, do we let that go through or do we pull the punches? Because I'm, I'm of two minds on this. I think sometimes... I do pull punches because I'm like, this isn't an epic enough encounter. This isn't a cool enough encounter. Like a random encounter or like something small. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do it here. Yeah, that that time the party uh, just happened into the the hell wasp uh, swarm. That wouldn't have been a very satisfying end for anyone. But I think a lot of times when you're thinking, oh, the party's gonna like stomp this this encounter, and then someone ends up in a life or death scenario. A lot of times I think, oh, okay, like whatever they they're gonna die and i have killed a player on like one solid hit one time and been like oh shoot i didn't mean to do that oh well like uh i did i did it with one of our characters at sixth level correct or seventh level uh i, I i'm forgetting what was the instance um, this is when we, we fought the, the Fey Holder. Oh, the Fey yeah, Holder, yeah, yeah. and you walked, uh, Seventh po- level. our wizard walks into the room, gets shot by, uh, one of the beams, and dies instantly. So, I don't think you, you know, you didn't, I don't think there was a way for you to pull your punches there, uh, nor would I have expected you. I pretend the dice was lower than it was, because I made the creature up. Yeah, uh, but, in the same sense, uh, I will, I will pat you on the back, even though I died, I hate you. Right, uh, I, we all went in there knowing it was an optional encounter. You said multiple times. And I, I you, made it clear when you guys mm-hmm, picked up the item, mm-hmm. your mission, like, okay, your guys' mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. Like, we could go right it. back to the story, but we went in there because we wanted some treasure, and uh, and I paid the price for it. I could have, I could have tactically put myself somewhere else, and there was a number of things that could have altered that that decision. So I think it was perfectly justified that I died in that situation, uh, and I don't think there was anything you should have changed there. Right, I think it's perfectly appropriate as the DM, uh, as long as you set that expectation that, all right, the decision you're making here might be a deadly one, as long as like that's on the table, then, uh, you know, What if I wild. hadn't said something like that? Like, I didn't say outright, you could die here. I've said, um, your mission is accomplished. Like, whatever you do from here is like up to you. It's optional. Right. Um, so should that precedent always be set, though? 
or should I kind of like let you guys just make the decision? Should, like, should I say nothing? Like, should I just be like, okay, well, you got the thing, um, and then just let you guys do your next part, like without you know setting the precedent of, hey, do I like do I need to say out loud this is optional? It, it, it I think it's not necessarily it doesn't have to come in like a metagame sense, right? Because you did right. like say to the side to us this remember this is the thing that you came here to get if you're going in deeper this is optional uh i mean that's perfectly valid too but i I think it has to be implied somewhere in there um that that you're you're running into a a deadly encounter because otherwise um for example if if that precedent hadn't been set here um we didn't have any uh lead up to indicate necessarily that going down into this one particular area would lead us to uh a beefed up beholder at level seven, you yeah. know? Uh, so in that sense, I think uh, it, it's definitely appropriate. There's got to be like a messenger somewhere. I mean, and, and, and to your credit, you did sort of set the expectation as well. We showed up in yes. the Feywild and everything we fought was more difficult than hell. Yes. So, uh, we definitely uh, ran literally the session before you died, Drew, uh, you almost died again <laughs> with, with the, uh, the rocks and the, and the Cyclopses. So, now, do you think that that encounter with... So, we, we dealt with the character death there. Luckily, there was a, a, a revival that happened along with um, the selling of one soul. And when when that happened, do you think that was good for the story? Or do you think that it wouldn't have mattered if it happened or not? So, I think it was good for the story. And I think it was good for the story for the same reason that I think DMs need to push and need to beat on their players... A little bit, not maliciously, right? But if you're not, if there's no consequences, if there's no punishments for the things that you do, if there's no threat of loss or death, like why are you playing? You're just playing creative Minecraft. Like there, there's there's nothing to lose. I want to feel driven in my story. I want to feel Playing like brain Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but that's the first thing I thought was brain Skyrim. Freaking Skyrim. But uh, but no, like it definitely it needs to happen. You need to be on your last legs every once in a while. Um, going forward, I it definitely helped build my character. Uh, if nothing else, with the feats that I took, because I took the the tough feat shortly after that, because I was tired of going down in one shot, uh, and it's actually worked out very well for me. Right. Um, and while that's not necessarily a developmental piece of the story, it's more a mechanical ability kind of sense. I, I feel a lot better playing my wizard character now with the tough feat because I died. Because I feel less threatened while still being threatened because I'm a wizard, if that makes sense. Uh, there's a little more to... I have more wiggle room, but I'm constantly, constantly thinking about me dying back in the Feywell, and I don't want that to happen again. Right, right. And, and in case you haven't listened to our... Uh, it might, might have been our first story time uh, about the Feyholder, uh, or maybe second, I don't know. Uh, in any case, if you haven't heard that story time, uh, the way that this ended up, none of us had Revivify. So the the way that we ended up getting your character back was we, uh, you were offered a deal with uh, the the pit fiend in my shield, uh, and you said no, you're not going to give him your soul, and so I sacrificed my immortal soul to this uh, pit fiend to bring you back to life, and now no matter what, uh, we're 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 connected in that way, and I don't know how this campaign is gonna end for for Oswin, but his immortal soul does belong to a devil who's sort of just out and about um, because Mordenkainen took my fucking shield. <laughs> so, well, you mean the party forced you to give it to him? Yeah, yeah. Well, 
it, in my mind, there was nothing that you guys could have done uh, besides what you did. It's Mordenkainen's fault. He gave you the option. <laughs> yeah, just have just have better family members in your uh, in your games, and you won't have as many problems. To be honest, but uh, that actually is one of my favorite things in in a lot of our campaigns. Is we've dealt we we have had our fair share of family members show up, which I I far prefer a character to write a decent backstory with a family member involved, like a live family members than the typical, I'm an orphan vigilante uh, that we get all the time because that's all the superheroes that you've known about. And like the second you have to make a character, you're like, Oh, I'm going to be an orphan vigilante. Um, so I, I prefer having that. And I especially love it when I write the character or the parents to be dysfunctional, like being like, okay, I'm writing this in a way that I want you to know. This is not me talking. This is my dysfunctional character that I have made up talking to you. Um, because, because you guys will bring up things to, to a lot of my, my characters that I have talked to you and be like, uh, yeah, that doesn't really make sense what he said. And I'm like, I know (laughs) (laughs) I'm fully aware that it doesn't make sense. (laughs) This is this person. Now I want to be very clear for anyone who's never lost a character or an NPC. This stuff cuts deep. And wow. (laughs) Now I've, (laughs) I've never had, um, like I've never had a player at my table as a DM die and be very dysfunctional and like maybe crying upset but as a player uh, for example in our in our last campaign Storm Kings my dad had died I think session 2 session 3 so he was completely fictional character that I had made up for 3 months over the over the summer while I was generating this this character but to the very last session, I was thinking, my dad died. I have to avenge him. I have to. But I did. I never said anything to him. I never roleplayed with him. There was no back and forth via text between me and Seth. There was, there was nothing, right? So that guy I never met, totally made up in my own brain, drove me to the very end final battle monologue as I drove a sword through the boss's head. Like, this stuff is deep. It, it Be prepared. Well, and I'm, I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up because I guarantee you none of us thought about that the entire time after session two. And like, not even I thought about it and I freaking killed your dad. Um, <laughs> did, did give us a good chance for role play though. I think, I think we sort of bonded over the fact that your dad died and I, uh, I treated it with respect. I was as, my as dad died for the party. To some other people at the party. <laughs> <laughs> not to name any names, Winston. <laughs> <laughs> No, but these deaths can really lead to something uh, very beautiful later if they're if they're treated correctly or if they're they're handled well. Um, the Pyth death we just discussed with the the Fey Holder, I think that may be the single handed most stressful moment I've ever had in D anD. I don't know if you guys remember. I actually stood up. I started pacing around the room, and I considered drinking for the first time at that day. <laughs> <laughs> I needed snacks so bad. I wanted to stress eat so bad. It was. I'd spent so long building this character. I'm sure so many people can relate to this where the idea of losing something you've spent so long on, it's hard, man. It's, it's rough. Oh dude. I remember when you got up from the table and you were just like behind the couch, just walking back and forth. And I was like, cause I knew you were dead and I was like, okay. And then when you said no to like getting your soul back, I was like, Oh, that's a good payoff. And then you did it. And I was like, that's an even better payoff (laughs) (laughs) because not only did we get to keep Pyth, you know, one of the central characters for the plot line, but also a character got to give up their soul in hell or one that you were in hell at the time, but you know, the general gist of it. So, so sort of stepping back from, uh, from our personal games then, uh, when do we think it's appropriate to pull out these ass pull? Because it, even if, uh, a character doesn't have, uh, reviving magic per se, uh, we've proven 
That doesn't necessarily mean your character dies. So, so when is it appropriate to say, okay, well, yes, I killed your character, but here, I'll let you have him back with some stipulations. If you can make it make sense. Um, if, the char- if the player cares enough, one, it's like to, ha- to keep playing that character, and two, if you can make it make sense. Uh, another time that we had characters die was in the Undermountain um, for you know the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, um, beneath the Yawning Portal. I'm sure plenty of you have heard about it. But in the Undermountain, um, Hallister kind of has his, his own rules going on down there. And I, um, when, we were, when we were down there, we ran through a situation which I didn't intend to kill characters, but I did. Uh, two players died while we were in the Undermountain. And while we were um, discussing, I was like, okay, I know how I would bring these characters back if they died. I had planned for this when you guys first went down there. I was like, I know how I would bring a character back if they died on their way through the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Here's how I'll do it. Halister is entertained by what the players are doing and will not allow them to leave. He wants to see more. Um, and so, uh, through the what the resurrection spell? Uh, uh, re- reincarnation, the, I think re- it was. Yeah, reincarnation. reincarnation. Re- yeah. Through the reincarnation spell, there are portals set up in different sections of the Dungeon of the Mad Mage that I had uh, written in where they were. And so I was like, there were different portals you would come out of them, one, one of them being in Skullport, where uh, if someone was interesting enough to Halister, and he's like, ah, they're dead, but I'm not really letting them go. Um, he could pull them back in through one of these portals, and he did, setting you guys in Skullport far away from your party members. So we had two separate sessions then to go through uh, with two player characters each to get you guys back together. So I thought that was a fun way to go about it where it was like, okay, this isn't as heavy handed as like, I am reviving your character because I don't want you to lose them. It's more of like, here are the consequences of your actions because um, they came back through the, the um, reincarnation spell, which means you're a different race. Um, so not only is your character different, uh, like they're, 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 they're completely different than they were um, before albeit um, with typically the same abilities, depending on if you can make it make sense to me. Like, uh, I know I, I was like, okay, kind of rebuild your character however you want because you're different. You don't really have that blood in you anymore. And then you brought up the, well, I'm divine soul sorcerer, so the, so the sorcery is linked to my soul. I'm still the same person. Does that count? I was like, okay, you can still be a divine soul sorcerer. Makes sense to me. Um, and, and likewise, um, the other player was a warlock and bard. So bard sing good. Uh, warlock... <laughs> Warlock strike deal devil. <laughs> yeah, the the devil uh, has your soul. Yeah, exactly. So, um, in in that situation, I feel like it was completely fair to kind of bring a character back. But um, overall, I think that if you can if you can kind of make it make sense in context, then don't really. Don't be so heavy-handed about it. Like, okay, a cleric shows up out of nowhere and revives your character. That's not cool. But if it can make really good story sense, bring them back. Right, and so there is the the element of, okay, well, we... It's been decided by, you know, the the DM on high (laughs) that this character's gonna die. Um, But if the party just really was attached to this character and everyone's on board for... Uh, for this sort of uh, next session, there there is the potential for all right. Well, none of us have the ability to bring you back, but maybe we can find someone who can, or you know, ha- find some means to do so. And then that's a quest. It doesn't have to be though. Uh, and, and I think uh, one avenue that we haven't explored enough 
uh, in our, our session or our campaigns really um, is what happens when a character is dead dead. I, I think the only time that we've really gone through with that, I mean, we had our initial campaign, right? Where, uh, where my first character died yeah, on like session five. And, and of course our, our, our good Betty, uh, buddy, uh, redhead Eric, I think. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, his character also died, but we sort of glanced over that. We moved on pretty quick. Um, but uh, we, of course, had uh, Patrick, uh, his character. He willingly was executed at the end of our last campaign, right? Uh, and that sort of that stuck with us, you know. And, and we had the time to, like, you know, the, we had the whole scene leading up to it. He's at his execution. He could easily get away. He's uh, like what a fourteenth, fifteenth level wizard. Uh, it should be no problem. I think I had him, him be 20th level at that point because of the stuff he had gone through to get there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And all of us were 20th level adventurers, so we easily could have, uh, you know, rescued him. And he said no. And so we had this whole big uh, dramatic scene where it was storming outside and, and uh, we had the music playing and uh, everyone got to say goodbye to this character. I almost feel like a little jealous, right? Like... <laughs> Because he got a send-off? Yeah, like, I wish my character had a really satisfying death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get crunched on by a fairy dragon, idiot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, but then I came back after yeah. a, after a little bit of uh, complaining. <laughs> Which is a total side note to that. If anybody uh, ever finds themselves in Skullport, leave. We were there for five minutes and got kidnapped. Like, it is, <laughs> it is not, a good place, not a good place to be at all. What were, so, the circumstances around that, you and Dalith got yourselves captured and then we had to rescue you is that how that turned out i i, I want to say we were trying to find you guys we had heard something or no we were returning the magical dagger that we had found i believe it was right they were and still so, on the hunt for yes. our december so we we go to this place to return this this knife and everyone's like oh let me give you some some hot soup and some tea and you should rest here and then you wake up totally gone on like i think we're on like a gallows or something something yeah. crazy but yeah, which again, gallows, great opportunity for character death. <laughs> I, I, I think there there are um, there are some uh, like real world. All right, this will kill you. Uh, things that uh, I think are sacred in D anD D. So definitely like guillotine, gallows, uh, rocks falling on you, uh, all things that kill you without a save. That's a good point. I mean, don't be afraid to bring some some interesting encounters into your games, right? Not just the uh, the people with swords, the people with bows, but like a, a cool rock slide or an avalanche is a great way to give your characters those consequences of, you know, not necessarily just talking to people a certain way or rolling persuasion checks, but more so be careful the way you move, careful the way you think tactically about going along the story. And then you can have your Sonic Adventure 1 snowboarding <sighs> level where you're fleeing from an avalanche or being chased by a whale. Chased you by get a whale? Uh, yeah, that's in like the second or the first level of Sonic Adventure One. You get chased by a whale. Uh huh. Uh-huh. By Shamu. He's right. Yeah, that's pretty so cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> they bring that's it back dumb. in Sonic Six too. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Except not in Sonic Six. That's a bad game. Yeah. Um, final thoughts, boys, on character death, player death. They, they're so fun. <laughs> they're so horribly stressful. But they're so they could be satisfying. They could be emotionally destroying. They can hurt your friendships. There's literally just this giant spectrum of where they can fall. But don't be don't be afraid of them. But also be very afraid of them. If so, you're a player, be afraid of them. <laughs> well, even even as a DM, be be afraid of them. Your players may get mad if uh, a certain player loses or a certain player and NPC uh, gets offed harsh nag. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, <laughs> not to not to be contrarian, but I will say, as, as a DM, I think my my greatest flaw is my fear of of killing a, a character. I think um, there's a tendency like to to want to pull those punches, right? I think um, we we must have missed out on some some very satisfying deaths um, because I said, oh well. Yeah, it's going this way, but but I'm gonna change up my strategy to be less optimal because I want my players to uh, to succeed. Um, I think uh, there's there's definitely a whole world that we haven't explored uh, of satisfying character deaths. So I think going forward, um, j- just understand it's all about setting the expectation and setting the tone. So um, obviously, if you're first level and just some random goblin. Uh, kills your <laughs> one of your uh, your the people at your table's character with a crit. Yeah, yeah, or, or uh, even worse, not a crit, <laughs> just a wizard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> then, uh, then maybe maybe we can roll that back or, or find some uh, a more satisfying way to to deal with that. Maybe a, a powerful NPC shows up and that's the you know the jumping off point for your your campaign or something is this person that brought your level one character back. But but otherwise, um, it, it it's. Death is a, a part of life, and and just like D and D is sort of like a, its own internal world uh, that that you're experiencing. There's a lot of good that can come from um, from that sort of thing, especially from a narrative standpoint. So, so uh, be afraid of death, but not too afraid. <laughs> Everyone dies. And with that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Table Talk Friday. You can find us on patreon.com slash Friday if you would like to check out our post show that we're about to record right after this. You can also catch us on TikTok at Table Talk Friday, YouTube at Table Talk Friday, and Twitter at Table Talk Friday. Character death is crazy. It was so much fun talking to you boys about it, but can I have the Grim Reaper take me to hell? All right, get in. Uh, I've got I've got my boat here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take you down the the, the river of sticks. It's uh, it, it's sort of like the river sticks, but um, but it, it's just a lot of sticks, and actually, it's it's not flowing. It's 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 a stagnant uh, body of of just a lot of sticks in it. So I'm gonna need you to get out uh ba- from from behind and, and just push us down. But uh, but like by the time you uh. You're done doing that. You'll probably be pretty tired, and then you'll be ready for hell. So, uh, so anyway, uh, oh, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, everyone enjoy the uh, enjoy the rest of the the, the show, uh, the Patreon post show that we're gonna record right now. Have a good night.